Hello, I'm Diana Edwards. This is Our Stories, Conversations on Conscious Living and Dying. All of these stories are courageous journeys of self-awareness and healing, often told by guests who have never been interviewed before. While each story is unique to the individual, these beautiful stories remind us that the human experience is a collective experience. And so, the wisdom you will hear and feel can speak to us all. Welcome to Our Stories. We're here today with my friend Lauren. Thank you, Lauren, for being a part of normalizing the conversation around death and dying. You were very generous, and you have been very supportive of me over the years as I have actively tried to bring this conversation forward more. And when I finally was able to put the team together that could help me do it, I reached out to you and you offered to come share some of your stories. So thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for including me um, in this. I really am touched to be a part of this project, uh, and I feel that it's uh, a real gift to normalize the conversation about death as it is still very much taboo. It is. It is indeed. And I want to start where I usually like to start to give the audience a sense. What were your experiences around death growing up? Well, um, my grandmother passed away in her sleep when I was, oh, I'm guessing around eight or nine years old. Um, We were close, but not super close. I honestly don't remember a lot of the details around that. I don't think we flew to Florida for a service. So it's kind of interesting how over the years, some memories fade. I will say um, at the age of 12 is when my parents ended up divorcing. And that in its own sense was a death in the family too. Thank you for bringing that up because that's exactly right. A lot of times people think, oh, there has to be a physical death. But there are deaths that are felt when we move and we leave one community and go to a whole new one. Or like you said, a divorce where a family dynamic is over. There's a a grieving that goes with each of these new job issues with our children, not having children. If you were expecting to have children, that's a death in a way of a role you had thought you were going to have in this life. So thank you for pointing that out because I never want that to be forgotten because a lot of the grief issues we carry can be acquired through enormous amount of experience, relationships, moving in our childhood. So that was a great point. I appreciate that. Could you tell us what it was like you were living with your mom after your parents divorced, you saw your dad on the weekends, and then your senior year, your mom mentions, or I'm sorry, not your senior year, it was the summer before your senior year. Is that correct? Your mom mentioned she might be moving for a new job. Yes. What was that like? Can you share a little bit about that? It was really upsetting. Um, my mother and I had already had always been very close, and my father and I never really had been. So there was a sense of betrayal, and ironically, now that I'm thinking about it, almost a death in that relationship uh, with my mother because I felt so betrayed that she would uh, accept a job in Minnesota expecting me to move there and attend my senior year of high school in Minnesota versus Kansas City. It was really upsetting. So the only option I I could really come up with was asking my father if I could live with him my senior year in high school until I went to college. And there was some negotiating done around that because he and I never had been close. 
it was a little uncomfortable, and frankly, neither of us were thrilled with the thought of living together. But it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. So he says yes, and your mom, who, you know, it's hard when you're in high school, you know, you don't understand that my mom needs to take this job or whatever, and here right. you're so close to graduating. But you may, you took kind of control of it for yourself, and you reached out to your dad, and he agreed. You move in with him. What was that like after so many years of not necessarily being that close? It was interesting. <laughs> senior year. Uh, a little awkward. Uh, senior year, uh, when we think we just know everything there is to know. It, it was uncomfortable the first few months. He, he wasn't thrilled, nor was I, with the uh, situation. But we had both agreed to do it, and we both wanted to make the most of it. And eventually, we did start easing our way into getting to know each other as adults and to to understanding what was important to each other. And he he was a Presbyterian minister, had been from before since before I was born, uh, part of the seminary. And it was as a child, I never understood his connection with spirit. I didn't particularly enjoy going to Sunday school, and I certainly didn't understand the Bible. And it wasn't until we had this opportunity that we were kind of forced into uh, living together where I did begin to understand the beautiful, sacred connection he had with Spirit, and it was life-changing. So how did you two connect? What were the things that might have brought you together that senior year? Oh, gosh, talking, um, well, I had a tumultuous relationship with a boyfriend at the time. He helped uh, me through that in a lot of ways. Uh, We bonded a lot, ironically, over cooking because uh, cooking was never my mother's thing. And I think that was a source of frustration in their marriage. So after they divorced, my dad took it upon himself to basically become a pseudo professional chef and Julia Childs. And he spent a lot of time together in the kitchen and he and I would really bond over cooking and watching Julia Child create these amazing dishes and buying cookbooks together and taking cooking classes. So um, there were a lot of ways we really connected that we had never had before. So you get through your senior year, you graduate, you've chosen a college that turned out to be quite special because you met the love of your life at this college. You want to say yes. a little bit about how you chose your college? It was ironic and, and another blessing of my mother taking this job um, at the time that seemed so upsetting with nothing good about it. Turned out to have some real silver linings because I ended up going to Kansas University instead of Missouri University because I was living on the Kansas side now. And uh, several of my dearest friends from high school ended up going to KU too. So it was an easy launch. Um, It was a really great school for me to go to. And I never would have met my soulmate, you know, best friend, love of my life, Burr. And we've been married 33 years now. That's wonderful. I like the silver lining. So you graduate, you're headed off. Well, I guess it's your last summer. And then you head off to college. Yes. And your dad actually does take a job in Michigan. He decided to go set up another parish. Is that correct? Yes. He had moved to Michigan, which is where he had grown up. He was so delighted to be going back to his roots and his family was there. And he just always had loved Michigan. So he had bought a lovely little home on a pond and uh, had started a new church. And 
uh, I was going to go see him for Thanksgiving, and we were going to celebrate his new life there. And I was so looking forward to seeing his new house and meeting his new parish and um, just seeing his new life. So you're on the train Thanksgiving, before Thanksgiving, heading to Michigan, and he's going to meet you at the train. But when the train stops and you get off, he's not there. I was quite surprised to see my sister there because she wasn't, she hadn't, she wasn't going to be able to attend that Thanksgiving with us. Uh, so I was really surprised to see her there and it threw me. And I will never forget that uh, fateful walk through the train station and sitting in the car, staring at the side of the building when she said, Lauren, I'm here because dad died while you were on the train. And uh, wow, that Thanksgiving turned out to be very different than what I had expected. So your dad had died very suddenly, and you and your sister had to immediately immerse yourself in the details. Yeah, and this was foreign territory. I had never um, immersed myself in anything of this magnitude or that was as devastating. Um, thankfully, my dad's sister and brother-in-law and their family uh, were there. And we were, we were all very close, still are. And they really helped orchestrate all of the various things that needed to happen, including uh, meeting the congregation, which was so hard. Um, and, you know, asking us if we wanted to see the body. And uh, I, I was discouraged because they didn't want me. I was only 19. I'd never seen a dead body before. And they didn't want me to be traumatized or to have that be the way I remembered my father ultimately. But I had gone there to see my father and I knew I had to see him dead or alive. So I did. And it was really a beautiful, powerful way to help me say goodbye. You know, he was, he had gone down on the side of a road, a rural road while he was jogging and he was still in his jogging shorts and tennies and had some scrapes and bumps and bruises. Uh, but that was my dad. And I got to, I got to say goodbye and that uh, was a gift I will always treasure. Thank you for sharing that because I do think we live in a world where we think we're helping people, we're protecting especially children from talking about it or being there or, or seeing a body if it's age appropriate, of course. And I appreciate you sharing that you, you know, especially in that time period, you stood up for yourself and said, no, I, I need this. And I know it might be difficult, but I need to see my father. So you get through this process around Thanksgiving and back to college you go just in time for finals. Couldn't have been easy. And you said that it also got lonelier because while your friends were there in the beginning saying, I'm sorry, after that initial, I'm sorry, people really didn't know what to say or do, which is very typical of people not sure how to handle grief. Right. And it doesn't even matter what age we are. It doesn't matter if we're in college or if we're 90 years old. People just oftentimes don't want to talk about death and dying. It's, it's a natural human tendency. And I used to be the same way. Um, but it was such a lonely experience in college because talking about things sometimes can provide healing. Sometimes silence and, and going inward provides healing. And I was doing my best desperately to do whatever I could 
to get through this hard time. And I remember feeling so utterly alone because after the initial condolences um, that, you know, our group of friends shared, it was like no one wanted to be left in the room alone with me anymore because it was, um, it was just too uncomfortable and they were afraid I was going to talk about my dad dying. So I made a vow to myself at that point in my life that I never wanted to be that kind of person that couldn't talk about it, that I wanted to be that open heart and the shoulder to cry on and to be a comforting support when someone else was going through this lonely journey of death. Isn't that amazing? At 19, you figured that out. That's beautiful. Because now you're, as you said, married 33 years. You're the mother of two grown children. You have a wonderful business here in New Mexico. One of the things you guys were planning on doing over Thanksgiving, to back up a little bit and tell more of the story, was to go visit Dottie and Dawn, who were very good friends of your father's, and I guess yours as well, family friends. And Dawn was close to dying himself, and your father was thinking he would be officiating at his ceremony and so forth. And here the irony is, it's your father, who at 48 years of age has this this sudden death. And you... Don't go then, but a few weeks later, you said after you got back to college, Don did die. And so you had a second death to deal with. And here is this man is a close friend of your father, so it's going to bring up your father again for you. Exactly. And that, it was just such a double whammy. So Don made it through that Thanksgiving uh, and died, I want to say it was within a week or two later. It was just so so hard because here I was still reeling from the loss of my father when um, I got the call about Don. And Don really was a very, very close family friend. Uh, Many years of so many hilarious, wonderful memories with him. And uh, when I got the call that he had passed and uh, I knew I needed to drive myself to Kansas City for that service and to be there for Dottie. Wow, that was one of the most impactful car rides I've ever had because I knew, and I never thought I would say this back then, but I knew my dad was with me because there was a song, uh, the old Cat Stevens song, Morning Has Broken, which was always my father's most favorite hymn. And uh, music was always such a a force in his life. And that was another source of us bonding together when we lived together that year. So I remember driving to Kansas City, weeping so hard. I, th- I was wondering if I should pull the car over because I was so overwhelmed with grief and feeling like my heart was breaking. I wasn't supposed to have been alone making that drive. My dad was supposed to have been with me and we were supposed to have had each other to support each other. And life doesn't always work out how we plan things. So I heard Morning Has Broken play twice on my way driving there. And literally as I was pulling in Dawn and Dottie's driveway, I heard it. So I had to sit in the car for a minute to compose myself and thank him and just thank him and to let him know I heard him, I felt him, and I knew he was with me. I didn't know how or why this was happening, but I knew it. And thank you so much, Dad, because I need you so much now. We made it through Dawn's service and we all felt my father's spirit there. As I'm walking to my car to drive back and I'm just so exhausted and uh, so low on resources and I get in my car and literally before I had even backed out, 
my new friend Cat Stevens played his song for me on the radio. And what people have to understand, this was, it was on the radio. This was a random radio station song. Right. It wasn't like you had a CD you accidentally put in that. No, this was just random radio surfing, you know, coming up with music to try and make myself stop crying. And then I (laughs) I kept hearing Cat Stevens. And on the ride back, it was so weird because I felt my father's spirit with me so strongly. I caught myself looking over at the passenger seat going, oh my God, like, I know you're there. I can't see you, but I know you're there, dad. Uh, This is just like the weirdest thing happening right now. And that day launched me on my future path, understanding beyond a shadow of a doubt that life doesn't end. Our bodies die, but our souls live on so beautifully and they can sometimes come through when we least expect it. That really is beautiful. And I appreciate you sharing that because I think other people have those experiences, but are afraid to call them out for what they are because someone might think they're crazy. You know, if they said, oh, I really felt this person was with me. So thank you for being so clear about how you experience that. Now, there's one other piece of this story I'd like to touch on before we take our break and come back with your other stories. But You said then, I think it was the following summer, is that when you went to live with Dottie? I did. So here you go, back after your freshman year, to live with Dottie, the wife of Dawn who died. Yes, and Dottie had always been like a second mom to me for much of my my younger life. Uh, She was such a spiritual mentor, and it was so healing that summer. That was the first time I ever went to a psychic. Thank you, Dottie, because that opened up a whole new world. Uh, And my father came through very clearly, and I was the world's biggest skeptic. I was psychic schmikic, like they don't know what they're talking about. But that summer, I realized that some people do have the gift of communicating with spirit. And um, that helped to cement my understanding about life after death, that life lives on. And that summer, I had some of the most incredible, mind-boggling experiences communicating with my father. Um, And the most memorable one um, I will share with you, it was one night. The bedroom I stayed in that summer was, was at the back of the house, facing the backyard. And in the wee hours of the morning, I had awakened and I couldn't get back to sleep because I was just overwhelmed with grief and missing my dad. And uh, it was so comforting being with Dottie. And in a way, I was able to let down my defenses that I had been holding and guarding so closely to get through that year of school. So one night, uh, I can't get myself to sleep. And I'm crying and I'm praying and I'm talking to my dad when all of a sudden I realize that these lights that had been kind of appearing and moving across the wall I was facing and sometimes on the ceiling, that in my altered state of grief, I had been thinking those were headlights from a car. And all of a sudden in that moment, I realized Those were not headlights. I was in the back of the house. What were those lights? And Diana, in that moment when I said, what are those lights? Those lights changed and took on 
a life of their own that was really beyond words. They had this beautiful rainbow crystalline color and light and sheen and sparkle to them. And when I said, Dad, is that you? The light, and you couldn't make the stuff up, that light shined so big it went from the floor all the way up that wall onto the ceiling and glowed and shimmered, changing lights and changing shapes like it was this angelic orb. And I I remember then crying tears of joy because then I knew he had heard my prayers. He was with me and he'd been with me before I had even realized it. So this went on for, I don't know how long, but I asked him all of my questions and I felt like we telepathically were communicating with the clearest straight line from earth to the stars. And I got the answers and I knew he was safe. I knew he was in a beautiful place. He was happy. He was listening to incredible music and he was with his loved ones. As I started relaxing again and feeling so tired at this point, I remember wanting to stay awake because I didn't want these lights in this moment, the sacred moment. I didn't want it to ever go away. So I remember saying, telling my dad that telepathically, please don't go. I never want you to go. Just stay. And bless it, the guy's heart, that shimmering light slowly moved its way over the ceiling and just rested upon, well, right above the headboard of the other twin bed, like just letting me know it was safe to fall asleep and that he would always be with me, whether I'm sleeping or conscious or in any state. He is alive and he's, he's always with me. So that summer proved to be a profoundly insightful, healing, eye-opening, comforting, uh, lifetime gift that I have carried with me ever since. Lauren, that's beautiful. And it's so authentic, so human. I love how you question the psychic. And, you know, we all have those moments like, you know, am I seeing that light? You know, right. Am, am I, I just convincing myself exactly. of this because I want to believe it so badly? And I hear these stories a lot, and I have for many, many years, and most people don't want to share them because they're afraid people will judge them. And we make a real point with this podcast that there's no judgment here. These are people's stories. If they touch you or speak to you or maybe encourage you to look at something like that happening, lights in a room or whatever else may be, and just give it a second, second chance to be a part of their heart, there might be a message there for them. So thank you. Thank you so much. And we're going to then come back by jumping ahead 13 years. 